Hi, church family. I'm so glad that we have this ability to connect online. We're about to go into one of our messages and I pray it blesses you. If it does, make sure you share it with a friend and, and share the love around. Make sure that you click like or subscribe so that you don't miss any of our messages that we upload weekly. And jump in the chat so that we can connect. Even though it's virtual, let's make sure that we connect. So sit back, enjoy, and I pray that you're inspired and blessed. You can be seated. I just want to put some things in perspective. Pastor Carolina is 40. And if it be true that we sleep 30% of our life, <laughs> let's put it in perspective, she has spent 12 of those 40 years sleeping. Sorry. 12 of those years you've spent sleeping, girl. Talk about beauty sleep, hey? 12 years. Have you thought about your life, how old you are? 30% of that you've been snoring. Gee, some of us that makes us about 20 years. Some of us it makes us about 30 years. That's scary, isn't it, when you think about it? That's scary. Anyway, that, that's just a bit of trivia. Just thought you might like that. It happens as you get older. Uh, I just want to announce uh, tomorrow we are having a celebration service here for uh, Will Weller, um, a friend of the church. Look at that good-looking guy. He, that wasn't long after he had one of his operations and um, he was going through chemotherapy at that time and he was up here singing. And uh, what a man of God. And uh, so we're going to say goodbye to Will. Not say goodbye to him, because we'll see him again in glory someday, but um, just to welcome him into the promised land. Is that the way of saying it? And so that's at 11 o'clock tomorrow, and we would love for you to come and be a part of our church family and to, to send him on his way. Uh, amen? That'd be really great. Also, this Thursday night, uh, we have our, our Valor Night. That word valor comes from a French word, valer, to make strong. And so um, we're having Thursday night here on fatherhood. Um, and you may not have come last week, but there's no, uh, nothing stopping you from uh, registering and coming along and, and doing the next three uh, Thursday nights. Now, I just want to suggest that if you've got something else on, put it off. No, I mean that. Put it off. You know, if you're going to fulfill the call of God over your life, if you're going to fulfill your potential in your life, there's some things you just have to put off. Right. And three nights, you know, and, and we are a great bunch of men. Forty of us came together last Thursday night and encouraged one another and uh, heard some things about fatherhood and probably helped some fathers who thought they were a failure till they heard me talk and think, God, blimey, I'm not doing too bad. <laughs> um, and so we're encouraging one another. Martin... It's just down there in the pink shirt. Only men, real men can wear pink. Isn't that right, Martin? And so, um, and so see Martin and book in. Okay, it's only 10 bucks. Uh, and if you can't afford to pay, don't pay anything. Just see Martin, he'll pay for you. That's not a problem, he's rich. Uh, but come on. Yeah, he's, he's good for at least a couple of thousand. Um, and so come along if you haven't registered come along we've got uh, Pastor Mike Melheron from Brisbane coming up to talk this Thursday night and I think he's talking on raising giants isn't it and how to make your kids strong as a dad and, uh, and then we've got Pastor Carolina coming the third night and uh, I just forgot what are you talking on 
wives and children. Happy wife, happy life. <laughs> need to be there that night. And so come along then, and then I'll be wrapping the fourth session up. We're going to be talking about family values, and we're going to be talking about some of the gaps that may be in our manhood. And so, um, so put that aside. This Thursday night, 7 o'clock, be there or be real square, and uh, it'll be good. So tonight, I'm going to be talking about the first message tonight on all messages this month about uh, relationships and their ripple effect. Uh, I'd like to start by saying you cannot have a relationship without having a ripple effect. Uh, most things happen by reason of association. And so tonight, today, I, I want to talk about to two groups of people in this congregation and maybe online. The first group I want to talk to is a group who may be here and you may not be a church goer, you may be a church goer and, and you may never have given your life to Jesus Christ. In other words, you've never been born again, never surrendered your life to Christ, never asked him to come into your world, mess your world up and forgive your sin and, 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 and set a whole new future for you. So that's the first group. We'll be making a call out for you later. And, and the second group I want to talk to are people who come to church, but you're a church goer. You're a nice, prim and proper person. Um, but, you know, you do Sunday, and outside of Sunday, you may not think a lot about God. You, you may, but you may not do anything for God. You might be just happy to get the ends to meet somehow if they ever do and, and do life. And, and you've never really thought about that. You are the answer to the next generation. You, why are you? Every one of you sitting there looking at me. While you're breathing, you are called with a call to impact the next generation yeah. one way or another. So we've got teachers in the room, we've got people who work with men in the medical field, people here work in the legal field. Whatever it is that God's called you to, you have a responsibility to leave something of value, which is more than the natural world, more than the physical world, something that in the way of values and beliefs that's going to build your next generation. And so um, that's the second. And so we'll be having an altar call later. And if you really feel down, I, I want something more from God to be able to impart to my into my generation. You might say, Dan, I'm too fearful. The two men I'm going to talk about today, both of them, both of them, God said, do not fear. Yeah. He said it to Moses as well. He said to every man of God, even when Paul was, was, was uh, discipling Timothy, he said, Timothy 2 Timothy 1.7, Timothy, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and of a sound mind. So going to heaven one day, and so God says, oh, George, you didn't do much for God. Well, God, you just don't understand, mate. I had this issue with fear. He's going to say, yeah, big deal. And so today, that's the second part. So we want to be able to equip you to be able to be all that God's called you to be. So two kings... Chapter 2, verse 10. And uh, we'll get him to put a statue up in a minute. And he, and he said, You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, you sh it shall be as for you. But if not, it shall not be. Here's this great man of God talking to his disciple, and his disciple was hungry for the things of God. He, he wanted to make a difference in the world. And this young disciple, he was a farmer. He was a farmer, quite, probably quite a wealthy farmer. He had 12 uh, yoke of oxen. And um, he, he was a farming boy. And he probably thought, this was my call. But then something came and touched his life. And as a result, he said, I want what you've got. There's something about you 
there's a lot probably wrong with you, but what's good about you, I want a double portion. And that happens with every great relationship. The people who have discipled me haven't got all their ducks in the line. The people who have discipled Anne and I, they don't, they don't live a perfect life, but what they do have that's of God was worth seeking after. What they had of God was worth seeking after. So never look for a perfect disciple. Never look for a perfect person to be able to coach you, to train you, to mentor you, to put into your world. You won't get one. No, you won't get one. But there will be something of God that's in them that God wants to pass on to you. My dad wasn't a perfect man, but by Jove's he imparted some good stuff. And he did his call in God because he imparted to us what God had given him. So I'd like to talk about this relationship that was kingdom-focused, relationship-focused. And out of that relation, a ripple effect came to his disciple. This relationship caused something by reason of association with this young man who came and hooked up to him. Changed a generation, changed a nation. A mentoring relationship that impacted the culture of this day. Heavens above, I was reading about a school teacher in Ireland who was jailed because she wouldn't call a gay person by their gay name. He was born George, I think, and he wanted to be called Georgia. And he said, no, your name's George. You're male by birth, but man by choice. <laughs> Jail, what culture we live in today, you and I. But the church is largely silent about it. We're silent. We need people who will rise up in the power of God, not have all their ducks in the line, not be perfect, but something from God that they can impact their land with. If you're a doctor, if you're a dentist, if you're whatever, a lawyer or something like that, God has put something in your life to change this land. And this relationship, what I want to talk about today, between these two men, very different men, but God parted something as a result of their relationship and had a ripple effect upon the land. Incredible ripple effect. And this relationship was about passing a mantle, a mantle being a covering and equipping. And in those days, people wore a cloak called a mantle and, 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 and they would use it to do different things like Moses had his staff and he lifted it up over the over the Red Sea, and it parted. Well, we're talking about a mantle today, and in that mantle, that covering which you were identified with, it was passed on to this next generation. And it's about a relationship between two very, very different men, and a relationship between Elijah and Elisha. Can I have that? There he is. Now, that's Elijah. You see the sword in his hand. This is on Mount Carmel. When you go to Israel, take your group, to Mount Carmel. The statue's on the top of Mount Carmel and it oversees the Valley of Jezreel. And if you read the book of Revelations, the last book of the Bible, the Valley of Jezreel is where they talk about Armageddon happened, where the armies of God and the armies of Satan clash. In today's world, they've got a big uh, air force base there and strip where the bombers take them. And it, you go there and touch that statue, stand there, Dustin, it'll make the hairs on the back of your head stand. Because something about Mount Carmel was the place where this man of God, Elijah, took on the 850 prophets of Baal. 
and he had this sacrifice and, and, and the Baals are over here with their theories and you know like woke cultures and modernism and all of this postmodernism and all of this stuff that they had of the day was their culture and, and, they, and, and, and Elijah took them on he confronted them see Elijah was a confrontationalist he was a man who would take on the government of the day he was a man who said to Jezebel the wife of Ahab the king of Israel he said to Jezebel I think it was this time tomorrow the dogs will eat your body and lick your blood. I mean, how would you be walking into the government places and saying things like that? I mean, this man, this man, he suffered from fear, but the call of God demanded that he not live by fear. Oh, come on, hear that, please. This man, he had a call on his life and he had fear in his life. He, had, he was a man who struggled with mental illness. He struggled with depression. But the call of God wouldn't allow him to use that as an excuse. Yeah. And today, many of us, some of us in this room, we're allowing all of these junk stuff that we live with to become the excuse that we can't serve God. Wow. Yeah. If that's you today, I just hope and pray that God can speak to your heart and he, and he stood up there and he called down fire and these guys put their sacrifice on their altars and, and he said to them, if, you, if your God's with you, see, the name Elijah, it means translated, <laughs> Yahweh is God, not Baal. <laughs> not the custom of the day. Not the theories of woke, not the theories of postmodernism, not the theories of, of whatever it may be. De facto relationships, unfortunately, outweigh married relationships in Australia today. And Elijah had what it took to stand and say, Yahweh is God. And that's what God needs some of his church people to be able to say, Yahweh, Jesus Christ is Lord. I don't care what your value systems. I don't care what you, I don't care what it says. Today, if I've got to go to jail for it, I'll go to jail for it like Paul did. And this man of God, she stood and these guys cried to call down heaven, cut themselves and everything, and nothing happened. <laughs> he fronted them. I mean, how many of us would have what it took to do that? He fronted them, come on, call down your God, call down fire, call down fire, come on. Nothing happened. They did all that they could do. See, church, the relationship between these two men and and what Elijah left into in Elisha was able to stand when you had to stand alone. Now come on and think about that. Some of us are in workplaces today and stuff's going on where you need to stand up and you need to be counted, but you won't because of peer pressure. Peer pressure doesn't stop with 17-year-old girls. The 70-year-old people, 60-year-old people riddled with it and won't do it because the neighbourhood won't like it. We've got to stand. We've got to make a choice. And then he put his sacrifice up, this man, right there where the statue is. He put the stat, got the rocks, got the beast of burden, put it on top. Then he got his mates to get as much water they could and they poured it all over the sacrifice. Poured it all over. Then he called down fire. Consumed the sacrifice. 
See, this man of God was a man called down fire. You never argue with him because, man, you'd go home singeing, smelling of burnt flesh. <laughs> That's what he was. He was a confrontationalist. The king of the day knew him as, oh, trouble of Israel, you're not back here again. How would you be sitting in the lobby of the government that's going on and the prime minister looks up, oh, God, there's trouble. There's trouble. Same difference. Same, same, same. He was an extrovert. He was aggressive. If he was married, his, his wife would have said, by God, he's obnoxious. <laughs> but he wasn't married. I don't think it was a woman who could keep up with him. A man of war. A man who was able to stand against these people. Sacrifice. He called out heaven. Called out fire. He declared a drought in the land for three and a half years. He said, it's just not going to rain. You want to mess around with those gods? I call it drought. <laughs> what you mean? You know, farmers into you. You imagine it. You're not going to worship God. If you're going to play these games, Israel, you're called to live for God. This nation of Australia is, is known as the great, the great south land of the Holy Ghost. And where have we as a church let it go to? He says, it's not going to rain for three and a half years. And after three and a half years, he called down rain. What a man of God. Brings down rains. Led the school of prophets. He did 14 miracles in his working ministry life. 14, ministry, ministry life of 24 years. And, and after that time, he was so burnt out from living the ways of war and fighting the fight for the land of Israel against He was burnt out. He was burnt out, suffering from anxiety, stress, burnt out emotionally. And at the end of it, God couldn't encourage him enough. He was that burnt out. He says, Elijah... You can no longer carry the mantle. It's messing your, your emotions up too much. You're, you're a broken man. I have to call another man to take over from you. And Elijah was walking through the paddocks one day and saw this young guy, Elisha, behind a plough and he cast his mantle over it. And Elisha was a different man. He's, Elisha, once he was touched by the mantle, once he was touched by the call of God. Now, let's think about this for a second. He was touched by the call of God, right? Touched by the call of God. And that call of God, that touch of that mantle, that young guy responded to. Went back, got his oxen. He ran up to Elijah and said, Elijah, he said, sorry, he said, do, do you mind if I rush back home and, and kiss my parents and kiss my parents and brothers and sisters goodbye? I'll tell you what I'll do, I'll get my ox, all my oxen, the 12 oxen, I'll get the yokes and I'll make a big fire. We'll have a big barbecue, mate. We'll feed all of the workers and say, have a, a, a goodbye and send off party for Elisha. He burnt the light and Elijah's looking and said, mate, I don't care what you do. I mean, he was an obnoxious man, old Elijah. But he had a call of God on him, Steve. And this young man, he went and burnt everything he's got because of a call of God. How many of us have done that? Come on. How many of us have done that? It's a scary spot to be. Yeah. It's a scary spot to be. I mean, it is. When Anne and I, when we called into the ministry, I've been an engineer for 20 years. I want you, I want you to leave it all. I want you to leave it all. What am I going to leave it for? Oh, I want you to come and serve me. You probably won't, you won't get much money. I mean, you'll get what's left over after they pay all the bills, which was about 100 bucks a week. And I'll tell you what, you can raise your family on that as well. Oh, gee, that's it. I'll, I'll try and pay a house off. Not a lot of monetary. But the call of God. Dan, what's the call of God worth? 
Come on, what, what, what's it worth? Stop and think about it. And this young man, he was an introverted young man. He was so different to Elijah. Elijah was rough and ready, fiery, man of war. Elijah was an introvert, a quieter guy, a gentler guy. He, 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 he wasn't as aggressive. He, he, he was, he, who's like that here? You, you know, we got the extroverts. I'm an extrovert. You can hear me before you see me. Talk before I think. Who's there? Who's, who's one of those? Just... Yeah, tell the truth and shock the devil. Come on. Don't hit me in Carolina. Yeah. You know, you spend 50% of your, no, 30% of your time talking and 70% of your time apologising for the stupid things you've been saying. Who's there? Oh, Mark, you and me. <laughs> a couple of us are. But not Elijah. Not Elijah. Elijah was, a, he was an introvert. He thought about things before he talked. He strategised. He was a very, very different man for a different time. Elijah was at a time when, man, he had to stand and confront the devils, where Elisha could then take over the mantle. Elisha's name isn't Yahweh with God, but, but, but Yahweh is your salvation. Very different people. I'm talking about a mentoring relationship. I'm talking about a relationship between people. See, in today's world, we only hook up with people mainly who is my echo chamber. They'll reflect back to me what I want to hear. Is that right? How many, of, how many of us go out and get a friend with somebody and says, oh, mate, I tell you what, he disagrees with 99% of the things I say. Call me a buffhead. He wasn't real kind to me. He, he wasn't gentle with me. He hurt my feelings. Hurt my... Rachel's cold in the cake before she came up. <laughs> Extrovert. Don't trip over the cords, hey, Rachel? <laughs> That's all I need to hear right now. <laughs> I hurt my feelings. I don't think I'll fellowship at that church anymore. Don't think I'll fellowship there. They hurt your feelings. Too short and blunt to the point. Well, that was a lot about this relationship here. A lot about it. So he totally different personalities, but guys, listen, please listen to this. It's, it's, it's not about your personality that God anoints. He doesn't anoint your personality. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He calls all personality. He calls the game people. He calls the fearful people. He calls uh, the learned people. He, he calls the uh, uneducated. He calls the rich. He calls the poor. He calls the fearful. He calls those who have never had a mental problem in their life and he calls those who are depressed. He calls those who love to preach and he calls those who hate to preach. He calls those who amuse those. He calls those who, mate, you'd never put a guitar in their hand. He calls, but he doesn't anoint that. He anoints a person. He anoints a vessel. He anoints... A, a, Someone who's hungry to see the goodness of the Lord in the power and his might to set people free from their bondages, to set people free from their fears, to set people free from the things that, that hold them bound. He calls people who want to see marriages restored. He calls people who have a belief that God is more powerful than anything, anything the enemy can put on the land. And that's what he did with Elijah. 
Elisha, being the introvert, and Elisha being the man of war. Elisha, Elijah had 14 miracles, where Elijah had 20, 28 miracles. He came alongside Elijah and he said, Elijah, he said, I want to serve you. I just want to serve you. I want to serve you. And Elisha served Elijah for 10 years. Now, could you imagine that, being with a man like Elijah for 10 years? Gordon. God, take him, please. Called me lazy. <laughs> he wasn't nice. He was rough. He was aggressive. He, mate, he'd take on fights, Dan. I mean, Elijah would take on fights. What do they say? You run in where angels dare to tread. He, he would take them on. You oppose my God. He says, I will take you on. Or Elisha would say, well, why don't you counsel him? No, he wouldn't. But some of us would say that. You can't counsel your way out of devils. Wow. Can't counsel your way out of sin. You've just got to repent from it. You've got to find out who's God in my life and who's not. And this is what happened between these two men. Lucky we haven't got to be home before lunch. So he saw twice the miracles, Elisha, but very different. Elisha's fight... Elisha was that different. Where Elijah, he did everything himself. He called down heaven. He laid hands on the sick and saw them recover. He laid hands on the dead. He did it all himself. Where Elisha, Nahum the leper, Nahum was a general in the Syrian army. He led the Syrian army. But Nahum was a leper. And Nahum came to Elisha to get healed. Elisha's sitting at the table having brekkie and he says to his servant, what was his name? Gehazi. He says, Gehazi, go out and tell that guy to go and dip seven times in the Jordan. Now, Elijah, Elijah would have done that himself. Where Elisha said, no, Gehazi can do it. So Gehazi, he fronts up to Nahum and he said, the man of God said, go dip seven times in the and, and, and Nahum, he got quite cranky with this. He said, oh, no, I want him out there, Martin. I want him out there to pray for me. And, and Elisha said, no, I'm going out. Gehazi's just as good. And so that's the difference between these two men. And when Nahum finally got his attitude together, went and dipped seven times in Jordan, got healed. So Elisha, he did healings through people to the common people in the quiet, in an introverted way, where Elijah did a national miracles, where he would declare drought over the nation, where he'd take on Ahab, he'd take on Sarah, he'd take on the leaders of the land. These two men, very, very different. So the first thing we can learn out of this is that Elijah walk, Elisha walked away from all that he had to go after the call of God and to serve the man of God, not lead the man of God, to serve him. What would you like, Dan? Dan, can I cook your meal? I'll do anything. Mate, I'll wash your clothes. I, whatever you want. I, I'm, I'm here to serve you. Ten years. Never demanding a right to, to do merit. Never demanding his rights. Never demanding what he wants. He just went, I just want to serve you. So that what's over your life by reason of association would change my life. I want to ask the question, how many have got people like that in our world? How many of us do have people in our world that we serve? 
out of the hope and out of the belief that God is going to impart something to me as a result of me putting my life, my wealth, all those things just to serve you. I'll sweep the floors, I'll clean the toilets. Not always easy. Some of us would like to do that. I remember when I first got saved, I said to my pastor, mate, I'll do anything for you, but I'm not going to preach. I'll fix your windows, I'll fix your drive, or whatever you but don't ask me to preach. So he asked me to do what I didn't want to do. <laughs> Isn't that strange how God does that? Isn't that strange? And so what he did, he served the man of God 10 years. The second thing is, he had perseverance, he had stickability. He had stickability. If you're going to do something from God by hell, well, hell, I shouldn't say that, should I? By hang, you've got to have stickability. Because you're going to pray for people who don't get healed. Come on. You're going to pray for people who won't get healed. It doesn't mean that God's not a healer. You can work hard and not do well in your job. Come on. You've got to have stickability. In this relationship with Elijah, Elijah had to develop stickability. Can you imagine being the 12th oxen, driving a 12th lot after 12, 11 in front of you? Mate, the scenery doesn't change. There's a lot of dust, a lot of sweat. You've got to learn stickability. And some of us in the church today, we don't have it. Come on, we don't have it. We've we, we got to have stickability. Get beside that man of God, woman of God. Come along maybe to Pastor Carolina or somebody else and say, you know what? I want to receive something from God and I'm going to serve you. Tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. Oh, I don't like doing that. Oh, I can't, I can't do that. See, you don't understand, Pastor Carol. I've got this problem in my life. Can't do that. No, it's, it's about perseverance. It's about sticking in there and what this relationship had. You know, just before Elijah's taken to heaven by chariot, three times Elijah said to Elisha, I want you to stay here, mate. I've got to go to Jericho. Elisha said, as long as you're alive, my friend, I'm not leaving your side. <laughs> I'm not leaving your side. I'm going to stick with you because you are going to change my world and I want what you've got. The prophets, the school of the prophets, they would say to Elijah, but Elijah, you don't understand, mate. Your master's going to be taken to heaven today. And Elijah said, I know, just shut up. He said, keep your mouth shut. But we'd say shut up, wouldn't we? Just shut up. Well, I'm sticking with him. But you don't understand, Elisha. He's going to heaven today. And three times Elijah said to Elisha, I want you just to stay here, mate. I'll be, I'll be back. And Elijah saying, mate, I've got stickability. I'm sticking with you like chewing gum to a kid's hair. You ever tried to get that out? you got kids. He, I'm not going anywhere. I've got to stick with you. I've got to stay with you. Because that's what I, I, I promised to serve you. The third part, he developed confidence and boldness when faced with uncertainty. See, the thing about where we're different as extroverts and introverts, those of us who are extroverts, we think we're more powerful than the world in which we live. We're, we're being 
some stupid... We think we can change the world. It's not true, but we, we have that perception. Introverts may be different. They say, with enough knowledge, if I'm just cautious here and get enough knowledge and get enough information, I'm going to make this thing work. Very different. And Elisha, what he had to face... See, the thing is, we, when we read this stuff, we read it real quick. We don't realise how introverts are. Very powerful if they have enough information. Whereas extroverts don't look for information. They just go, oh, I can do it. They don't think things through. Elisha would have thought, over the 10 years, he would have observed Elisha very, very carefully. He knew his strengths, he knew his weaknesses, and he knew Elijah to be a brash man. He knew him to make promises that were going to take hell or high water to see him far. And Elisha would have observed that. And Elijah didn't give Elisha the information that Elisha, as an introvert, would have been looking for. Does that make sense? And so for Elisha to follow Elijah, he would have had to have gone against every one of his natural instincts. But see, the thing is, he was committed to this relationship. And that happens between husbands and wives too. And that's another big message on its own. But it happens. With, and, and, he, and, he, and he built this thing. And, and Elisha said to, Elijah said to Elisha, he said, I'll tell you what, if you're with me when I'm taken to heaven, you can have what you want, the double portion of what's over my life. But for Elijah, Elijah to do that, he had to confront the fears in his world. See, oftentimes we think great people of God don't struggle with fear. We think that brave people don't struggle with fear. I want to tell you what, brave people struggle just as much fear as anybody else. I've been there. I've been into situations where every bit of fear is yelling at you, but you just got to face the fears and you say, no, that's not a reality. I've got to push it through hell or high water. And this is what Elisha had to do to receive the double portion. And the, and the second group of people are here today, you're allowing things to get in the way between you and the great call over your life. There's a call, there's a mantle, there's a, a blessing waiting for you there, but it's on the other side of you confronting every instinctive fear. But it's by reason of association with the right people that can put into your life enough to be able to say, you know what? Fear is just false evidence that looks real. And I've found that every fear I've walked towards has been like a mirage. The closer I walk towards it, the further it moves back. And 90% of the things that you and I fear will never, ever come to pass. The world hasn't rejected you. It won't. It won't. We're people of God. And by reason of this relationship here between these two men, who was so different, something happened in the life of Elisha as a result of this man, as he walked and talked and, and, and allowed what was over this man's life to come over his life, the ripple effect. Come on, the ripple effect impacted that generation. And God wants to hook us up with people. And not all of those people are going to be the people that you would choose to hook up with. <laughs> it was up to Elijah. He wouldn't have choose Elijah. 
But if he wanted the call of God, he had to accept the people that God put with him. Because the people God puts with you, the things that happened in a day when in just the everyday life, and people come, Elijah was just plowing his field, and one day that call came. The most unexpected time. He walked past and threw a mantle over his life. And Joe, it'll happen in your most unexpected hour. The most unexpected hour. The most unexpected time, just doing the mundane of life. The next minute, something comes in, you've got to grab it. Because the life of the opportunity is only there while the opportunity is. Respond to it. And today, I'm calling you out. Today, if you've never made that full-hearted commitment to Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Saviour, today I want to call you out and say, come on, it's time to accept Christ. It's time to be part of the answer. And there's some of us here that, I'm sorry for talking so straight, I, I, I really am, but I, I don't know how to do it any other way. I've tried to be nice and prim and proper and it hasn't gone well for me. I've looked like a girl, haven't I? I can't do it any other way. I'm sorry, I don't mean to be offensive, but some of us here today, there's some of us here today, God may not give you this opportunity again. See, that's the sad part. May not give you the opportunity again. Because funny things come in those days, in those mundane days. The call of God comes. The call of God comes in many different ways, doesn't it? Sometimes to walk through those pearly gates to reckon with him and some days those unthought times come where the call of God comes and just rests upon your life. So why are you going to impact the land? Not by building a big business, not by this and by that, fast cars, it's not going to happen. It comes as you and I take up our responsibility in God and say, you know what, I've got to stay in this land declaring the goodness of God. So today, if that's you, I've gone a little bit over time, but we may go a little bit further. If you've got to go home, you go home. I asked you this morning, is there people here today? You say, Dan, I, I, I've got to make a commitment to Jesus. Mate, I've been playing games here. Been playing games. You know yourself that you need Jesus to come in to forgive you, to forgive your sin. You may be a beautiful person, but the scripture said that we've all sinned and all fallen short of the glory of God. If that's you today, just while we have every eye closed, please just have some privacy to do this, but then I'm going to mess that up in a minute anyway. So, If you say, Dan, I need to accept Christ in my life, just lift your hand where you are. Is there someone? He's not going to ask you to... Whatever. If that's you... Just raise your hand where you are. Can I have a hand held, Mike, please? If that's you, won't you come? Say, Dan, I want to accept Jesus. Thank you. If that's you, won't you come? Just come out the front here. Say, Dan, I, I need to accept Jesus as my saviour. Is there anyone amongst us? We're all born again. How about we pray this prayer then, hey? Maybe you don't want to come out the front. 
Just pray, dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. I ask you to forgive my sin. I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior. I ask that you would walk with me for the rest of my life. Amen.